Today we're going to come to number two in the series of Ten Commandments we started last week. And if you remember, I titled this series, Love Again, Love Again Live the Ten. And I feel like God is really moving on our hearts to get back to God, to get back to loving Him and loving each other. The first four commandments, as I mentioned last time, uh, deals with our relationship with God. And then the last six commandments, it deals with the relationship with others. So through this study, my hope is that we would get back to loving God, to loving each other in what we learn here in actually the Ten Commandments. Now, when we talk about Ten Commandments, it may be kind of like, whoa, commandments, what? But remember last time we learned that God did not give us the law to leverage us, but because he really loves us. And, and I want you to bring that into your mind. God knows how our sin will ruin us. So he gives us commandments to help restrain us from this wickedness because he knows our humanness he knows our sinful flesh but also we learned last week right that he also gave us the commandments to reveal our sin to show us our sin that you know what we cannot perfectly follow these commandments so what we need a savior we need someone to help us we cannot control ourselves we cannot live perfectly before god and godliness and 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 the commandments show us that so it points us really to christ and so when jesus came as we talked about this week almost two thousand years ago that's why he came because we could not live perfectly and have our own righteousness we were not right with god because of the wrongs we did and so we need a savior and that's why jesus died on the cross for our sins so the commandments help us see that it points us to cross to the cross in actuality martin luther said this the law discovers the disease and the gospel gives us the remedy i like that uh, that's exactly what these commandments are about. And you know what? Once we have Jesus in our lives, the principles of these Ten Commandments can, can now be lived out in the new life. We actually have them now inside of us and the ability in this new creation we are in Christ to be able to grow and to, to, to follow God in these ways. It's like what Jeremiah 31, verse 33, the second part says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. So the Ten Commandments are no longer written on tablets of stone. They are now written on the tablets of our hearts. And then, guess what? You and I, as believers, we can live them from the inside out. And that's the idea here. As we come into the Ten Commandments, that's why I wanted to study this. That's why God put it on our, my heart to, to, to go through this and to understand that, yeah, we can love again and live the Ten. Now, as we did last week, I'm going to stand and read the commandments. But really today, we're just going to read commandment number one and number two. So if you can stand right now, we're just going to read together verse three and verse four. Verse three and verse four. I'm reading from the ESV. So verse and whatever version, it's OK. You can read from that. Uh, but let's begin here with commandment number one. Uh, Exodus 20, verse three. 
Let's read it together. Read it out loud. You shall have no other gods before me. In verse 4, commandment 2. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Lord God, we, as we come before you, we stand before you, Lord, to honor you in this study, God. We want to put our heart and our attention upon what you have to say to us and we ask you bless your word God that your spirit would speak to us and give us a word today that we may be the people you want us to be and to live in the way you want us to live so I ask for your spirit for strength I ask for your spirit to anoint this time and fill us in Jesus name amen you may be seated Many years ago, then-President Obama was criticized when he greeted King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia with what seemed like a bow. Many felt the bow was belittling the power and authority of the U.S. and yielding to the country of Saudi Arabia. But the White House explained King Abdullah is shorter than the president, and he had to bend down in order to shake the king's with the shake the king with both hands shake his hands with both hands okay possibly yeah uh, maybe it was a greeting or something like in japan they do a lot of bowing when i went there i like somebody's comment on this incident though they said this president obama is under fire for bowing to the saudi king however We're in an economic crisis, and the president was simply looking on the floor for loose change to help fund the next stimulus package. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. Well, whatever that was, bowing to someone or something does say something, doesn't it? Whether it's to respect or it's to honor them, humbling oneself or to worship. As we return here to our series on the Ten Commandments, we're, we're challenged with this second commandment in this decision concerning idols. And what are we challenged with? To bow or not to bow. And that's the title of our message this morning, to bow or not to bow. Uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20 from verse 4 through 6, from verse 4 through 6 this morning. And there's three things we're going to see. Number one, no replicating. Number two, no replacing. And number three, no repercussions. So that's our outline, but that's our points also. So let's begin here with number one, no replicating. No replicating. To bow or not to bow is our title. And number one, no replicating. We're going to look at verse four here and cover verse four here. This second commandment. Now, we read this already. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Now, we begin here with Moses. Now, he's writing these words, and he begins with these first three words, you shall not. And and the NLT puts it, you must not. So remember, God is speaking here, right? It's the Lord God. We saw in verse 1 last week that God spoke these things. Moses is writing it down. It's not his opinion. It's not something he's thinking about that we should do. But it's directly from the Lord here. So if God's speaking, then you must not. You, You shall not. You must not. 
And remember that this is a command then from God if God is speaking. This is God's command. And so the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions, but they're ten commands from God that we are to obey. And now as we come into this second commandment, he says this, you you shall not, you must not make your for yourself a carved image. So you must not make or form or shape any what? Carved image. Now in the Hebrew, carved image is actually one word and it basically means idol. It means idol. So you are not to make an idol. You are not to shape an idol. Or really the idea is have even any, any idol around you. And we're going to be seeing that in, in the rest of the verses. So the idols aren't allowed. Idols aren't, shouldn't be around and you shouldn't make or shape anything like that. John wrote simply in 1 John 5.21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. He just he said that straight in the New Testament. And you are not to form or make an idol that looks like, it goes on here in verse 4, anything in the likeness, anything that is in heaven above. That speaks about like the sun, the moon, the stars, or even birds. Or in the likeness or anything, any idol that is in the earth beneath. That means like animals, trees, plants, and anything there. Or you're not supposed to make anything in the likeness uh, that is in the water under the earth. In other words, the sea, the ocean, the lakes, and, and rivers like that. Any, any fish, any, any water, sea life, water animals, anything like that. You are not to shape an idol that looks like, you know what, anything in creation. So that's the idea here as God puts forth this command. Now understand the background, right? The children of Israel just came out of Egypt. It hadn't been too long. I think it's been two or three months now. They're at Mount Sinai. God is giving them this word. They made a commitment to follow God that, yes, we will be your people. What does that look like? So God is showing them in these laws here. And so as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God does not want them to do what they saw in the nation in the land of Egypt, right? They had so many idols, so many little gods there. They had like um, a god called uh, Horus. He was god of the sky. So they made an idol out of the shape. They shaped this idol of a falcon. They had another god called Haquet. He was god of fertility. And so they shaped this idol. He was half man, half frog. There was frogs all over the Nile, and, the, and as you know, frogs can reproduce so much. So this was a frogman kind of thing. They had another god, uh, for example, Anubis. You probably heard that in like movies. And that's the Egyptian god of the dead. And it was the shape of a man with a jackal head. I guess that was, that was their thing. So see, the Egyptians now will personify their gods by shaping the idol to what they think their god was about. Uh, so, so personifying their God into this image. Well, this is what the Lord God is saying. God is saying God didn't want them to fall into the same pattern, the same thing with him. So he's like saying, look, here in the second commandment, no replicating the Lord your God. No replicating here. Do not make an image to try and personify me. 
to try and, and put me, like, w- w- make an image of me of what you think I'm, I'm like. John D. Hanna said in his commentary, Since God is spiritual, no material representation can possibly resemble him. I like that, right? There's no way we can contain God into some image, some idol, some statue. Write this down if you can. Making the Lord God into an idol, you know what it does? It limits God. It limits him. That, that's what the Lord is really concerned about. It limits who he is. It limits his attributes. It, it, it really confines God into this, this, this little thing in front of you. And so the Lord said, look, no, do not make for yourself a carved image. No replicating the Lord your God. Now, I didn't get a chance, but I was going to bring you a jar and I was going to fill it with um, soil from our, our garden. And, but you can imagine if, if I had a jar full of soil from our garden. Now, I can hold it up here and I could say, hey, this, this jar of soil is from the island of Maui. And, and I could say, well, it rightly replicates yeah, our beautiful island. It's part of the island. Yeah, it's part of what, 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 um, uh, where we live here, our beautiful island. But does it really represent what Maui is about? Does it, a jar of dirt, does it show how beautiful the island is? Does it show how, how our vegetation, how green it is? Does it show like uh, the palm trees we have on the island? Does it rep- replicate like the, 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 the mountains we have, right? Haleakala, uh, you know, does, is it really a good representation of the deep greens of Eo Valley or, or the lush rainforest in Hana? No, you would say, no, nah, it's just a jar of dirt. Yeah, just a jar of dirt. I got a jar of dirt, right? And so it doesn't do justice to this beautiful, wonderful island we live on, the immensity of it, the beauty of it, everything about it. Well, this is what God is saying. In the same way, the Lord God is saying, look, a carved image of me, it, it just lowers the greatness of God. It just limits what, what you think I'm about. So God is saying, no, no carved image, none of that. See, I think we have to understand the limits of my human imagination can never match God's divine revelation that we find here in the word of God. There's, there's no way. So why, why would we try and make an image to say, oh, we're going to represent God with that? No way. What we read in the Bible, God's attributes of who he is, his eternalness, how powerful he is, how great and sovereign he is. I mean, how can we contain it in one image? There's no way. What we find in the Word and who God is, there's no way we can put it into one image or form it into some animal or, or something in creation. No, he's way bigger and above that. I mean, if we try and do anything, it'll be like a, a child's drawing, yeah? Like little Riley will draw the, you know, a picture and he goes, uh, Bapa, she calls him Bapa, this is you. I'm like, Okay, yeah, how cute, right? And we put it up on the fridge, but I would say it doesn't look like me. Some people might say, oh, yeah, it does. But, but you understand, right? It's just a child's drawing. A little girl 
was drawing a picture when his mother came in to ask what she was doing. And a little girl like confidently said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, the mom said, well, you know what? No one knows what God really looks like. Well, the little girl came right back and said, they will when I get through with this. What a great heart. But no drawing, no image, no picture can capture all of who God is. And so that's why the Lord said, look, you're not going to be like Egypt. You're not going to make for yourselves a carved image and and try and uh, use whatever in creation to do that. Now, you may not have idols in your house. You may not have a a carved image or something of God in, in your house. But you know what I was thinking about? Sometimes we still do make God into something he's not. Sometimes in our minds we have an idol. Sometimes we make God into someone he's not. For example, maybe our drawing in our mind, our picture of God, we see God holding this lightning rod ready to zap us whenever we do wrong. Some people have that image of God. Perhaps uh, God is this great grandpa, yeah, and he's there and he'll be there when you call out to them. But, but he, he, he's not really with you. He's at another house. Perhaps maybe he's even more distant. Oh, no, my, the God I know is a creator. He created everything, but he really doesn't care about me. He's really far away. Maybe it could be that your God, this idol in your mind, is God's this like divine vending machine. Yeah, Put the coin in, you get out. Push the button, you get out what you want. And that's your prayers are. So if I do this, if I pray, or if I read the Bible, oh, then I'll get what I want. If I go to church, I'll get what I want. Some people have that idol sitting inside their brain. That's still an idol. It still limits who God is, and and we make God into something that he really is not. So you see, God is saying, look, No replicating the Lord your God. No replicating. All right, let's go on to number two. No replacing. No replacing. And we're going to move on to verse 5, but only the first part. It says here in Acts 20, verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And we'll stop right there. Now, To make the second commandment, what he just said, even more clear and to help understand and and bring in more of this idea and command, the Lord adds this, you shall not, you must not bow down to them, to the idols, nor serve the idols. Bow down to an idol, it's really talking about, it means to give it worship, give it that honor. And to serve this idol means like give yourself to that idol so here's the lord the lord saying don't make this object yeah uh, don't make that uh, the your worship don't make this object of your uh, this object the, the object of your worship basically don't don't um, make don't dedicate your life to this uh image this idol this form i mean the thing was just really made of hands right now This actually relates to the first commandment. 
Remember the first commandment we read in verse 3, you shall not have no other gods before me. And that tells us who we are to worship. And when we get into the second commandment about not making any carved idols and not bowing down or serving them, it tells us how to worship. We are not to form some idol and then worship that image. That's not God. That's not the way to worship God with this image. Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, actually talks about in, the, in that pagan culture, in that time where there was many idols, many images formed and all that. You know what he said? He said, you know, when they sacrifice to these idols, they're actually sacrificing to demons. That demons are actually behind that idol. And I think about that today in many of the temples and Buddhist temples and Hindu temples. You think, you know what's really behind that? It's demons playing around making it seem like it's real. So here's the Lord. Like, look, no, don't make the object of your worship an idol like made of hands. And then think about this, and you can write this down. Like, uh, not only does this idol this image kind of limit god but what god is talking to is when you go there and worship it localizes god if you do this to the lord god you localize him you limit him to one location you limit him to maybe one building you limit him to like one statue but god we understand right he doesn't dwell in houses right he told david he doesn't dwell in one place. He's what? Omnipresent, right? He's eternal. He's, he's, he's unlimited. He's, he's a spirit, right? So when we, we're, and this is our nature as human beings, we'll like make something, oh, this is God, and then uh, we'll start bowing down to that, bringing our worship to that, uh, uh, looking at that in, in that way. I mean, isn't that what Israel did, Right? When they made the golden calf, not too far from where we are here, when Moses was up in the mountain, they, well, Moses is gone. We don't know what happened. Um, let's, let's go ahead and let's make our, our own image like Israel did, the golden calf, right? And they began to worship that thing. It's not a location. It's not a thing. You remember when... Um, uh, Jesus was talking to the women at the well in John chapter 4. And the women in their conversation, that woman said, hey, you know, we Samaritans, we worship here on this mountain, but you Jews, you, you go to the temple, you go to Jerusalem. See, the Jews got into this whole thing that, that they basically idolized their rituals, idolized their temple. They localized God in that way. And what did Jesus say in return in John chapter 4, 24? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's saying, like, first of all, it's not a location. It's not like you're the place where God is or the temple is a place. No, God, God is everyone. God is spirit. But we got to worship God in truth of who he is and not limit God, not localize God to a place. Now, I'm not saying that coming to church is wrong, uh, but it's a place where we can gather together, meet together, study the word together. Uh, God told us not to forsake our fellowship in Hebrews. And, and, and so we can, 
do that. I'm not saying that, we, you know, you got to go in only one place or, you, or that's wrong. We can still meet God at home in our devotions even too. So understand that. And so why is that important? Well, he goes on here in verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, when he says this, he's not jealous of other gods because, as we know biblically, they're not real, right? They're, they're, they're not real. There's only one God. No, what he's saying is God is jealous for your love. He loves you and he desires your whole heart. That's, that's really the idea here. I mean, he wants your attention. He wants you to, to spend time with him. He wants you to pray, to connect with him directly, not an idol. So that's the thought here. Imagine if, if uh, my wife, Kristen, uh, heard me say, Oh, Kristen, oh, honey, my love, you know what? I want to spend time with you. And then, to her surprise, I get up off the couch, I go upstairs into my office, and I pick up a picture I have of her, and I start saying, Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, and I start kissing the picture. You know, my wife would probably like, something's wrong there, <laughs> right? Right? Some, what, what, what's going on? I better call somebody or something like that, right? So do you understand how God feels? When we replace him with an idol? I mean, listen, uh, when Israel did that with the golden calf, they were saying, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm sure the Lord's like, wait, what? I'm here, right? I'm on the mountain. You guys are down there looking at the golden calf. So here's the Lord saying, no replacing the Lord your God with idols. You know what? It only breaks his heart. It only breaks his heart. Back in 1977, I, I was so shocked with this. A Maria Rubio in New Mexico uh, was cooking lunch for her husband. And she, was, she, she, she looked at these burn marks on her, this tortilla, and it made an image of Jesus. Uh, first of all, do we really know what Jesus looked like? But to her, oh, it made an image of Jesus. And it became, actually, people heard about it. She started talking about, you know, it became actually the shrine of the tortilla. By 1979, two years later, 35,000 people visited her house, the shrine of the tortilla, because there was an image of Jesus that appeared on a tortilla. I read a, a little update in 2005. Uh, her daughter brought that to a school show and tell. She dropped it, and it broke. Now it's just in a drawer. Crazy. 2015, in Ukraine, people came from all over to see an image of Mary and Jesus uh, within this double-plane window glass that had formed inside there. They came, thousands came all over to see this image. Finally, local priests took that window pane, moved it into the church, and now they have services for it. Sounds crazy, but people do that. This is the weirdest one, and I'm sorry about this one. Sorry to say this, but in Long Beach, California, hundreds and hundreds came to, they flocked to come and pray now 
before an image of Jesus found in a puddle of vomit. One man traveled 2,500 miles in hopes to be healed of cancer. Isn't that gross? Isn't that crazy? But this is the way we human beings are. Can you hear Jesus crying out, Look, I'm right here. I'm a prayer away. I'm, I'm not in that. I mean, it, it's crazy what we do. That image is not me. Perhaps maybe you're thinking, well, then is it wrong for me to maybe hang a picture of Jesus? Uh, is it wrong to maybe uh, uh, put a, you know, have a cross necklace that I wear? I mean, is it wrong to have a cross here in, a, in our corner here? Is it wrong to, to maybe on our phones, yeah, have, have a, a, a Christian image or an icon on there? Is it wrong? Was it wrong for in the tabernacle, we know I'm going through Exodus Leviticus now in my daily reading, but to have cherubim, images of cherubim, or on the ark was the two cherubim angels with their wings forward. Is, is that wrong then? Well, you know what the answer is right here what we read. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Do you understand? When you take that image and you start bowing down to that, when you say that's God, then that's wrong. When you start dedicating your life in this way, like these people going to the tortilla or the window pane or the vomit, that, that's wrong. That's not it. God's like, wait, that breaks my heart. No, replace the Lord God with these idols, with these images. When you start bowing down in that way and replacing God, then, then that's wrong. That's wrong. But if there are images like our cross here, yeah, as a symbol, as, as uh, we understand it, it, it represents we, what the cross represents, and we're not bowing down to the cross and saying Jesus is right there. No, we, we know where Jesus is, right? He's in heaven. He's God. He's eternal. It's kind of like I think about these symbols can be like a, 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 a marking to remind us and represents what something God has done. You remember when Joshua and Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground and then they piled up the rocks there, right, as a memorial to what God did? I think that's okay. But when we start to bow down to that, and serve them, and maybe think there's some magical thing in that, then we're replacing God with that. So no replicating, no replacing the Lord your God. No and we got to see what are we doing. So the challenge is in these idols, to bow or not to bow, and I choose not to bow. All right, number three, we come to our last heading here. No re repercussions, no repercussions. Uh, we're going to take the rest of verse 5 and verse 6 uh, in this final section, in this final part of our message this morning. So it goes on here in Exodus 20, verse 5, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, so God is saying here that he's going to be visiting this iniquity of breaking this commandment uh, of the fathers 
on the children to the third and fourth generation. So he's bringing some judgment, basically, because he's a jealous God because they've broken this commandment. So does that say that God punishes the children of parents who break this commandment? Is that what what this is saying? No, that's not what it's saying. They're not paying that price. Matter of fact, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, Deuteronomy 24.16 says children are not put to death for their fathers, but their own sin. So everyone is responsible for their own sin, and we understand that in the Bible. Your own sin, we have to take responsibility, right? We can't blame someone else when we do something wrong. We have to take that responsibility. Repent before God for it. Come to him and find forgiveness from, for, from the Lord. We're all going to stand before God alone, right? We're, when we come before the Lord, we can't say, well, my mom was a Christian. No, we, or, or hey, uh, they did this to me and that's why I did. No, you have your own responsibility in the choices you make when you stand before God. So what is God saying? Well, God is saying here in verse 5, those who bow to idols will most likely see their children do the same and be under that same judgment. That judgment will visit or fall upon those who continue to reject God. That's the repercussions here. That's what's going to go on. Understand, when he's writing this back then, right, three to four generations of a family would live under one roof. So it kind of makes sense now why he would say that, right? They're under one roof. So what the parents did, they end up training the kids to do and influence them and their kids influence their kids and it's passed down. You're all, you're all under this same kind of roof and the great-great-grandparents are still doing this. And so God is like, look, it's going to be passed down. What you do is going to go down and they're going to be also judged for their iniquity of breaking this commandment. Notice at the end of verse 5, I think we got to take note here where it says uh, to the third, fourth generation of those who hate me. Now that's a strong word. But it relates to those who do bow down to idols, to those who serve or dedicate themselves to idols. And what is God saying? God's saying, oh, you know, to him, it's like hatred toward God when you break this commandment. When you don't really go to him, when you go to him, it's love. When you really go to him, but when you just go to these idols or go to other idols, to him it's like, wow, they hate me. That's how God sees it. So God is saying, look, be mindful of the effect, yeah, the repercussions, the, the consequences, the, the, the result. Be mindful of the effect of disobedience. And we understand it can easily be planted in the hearts of children, right? Children are like Spurgeon said, wet cement. And they can be impressed with things very early in, the, in their age. So here's what God's bringing out. Hey, watch out that you don't break this commandment because it's just going to go on and on into the other generations. But let me tell you, there's hope. Because in verse 6, as we read, 
God says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God will be showing steadfast love. Uh, that means in, in the Hebrew, unfailing love. O, uh, old translations, the word is mercy. God chose mercy. God chose this love. God, God is with those to who? To those who, you know what, turn, repent. To those who come back and, and love him. Not, not breaking the commandment here. Not bowing down to idols, but come to him and reach out to him uh, directly. To those who obey and show that we love him. That you love him. That you obey his commandments is showing that. So, see in these two verses, the effects of disobedience to this command can last for generations, but the effects of God's love can transform generations to thousands. That's what God is saying. So, our last point he's really putting out here is no repercussions from the Lord your God if you choose to turn from idols and turn your heart to God. That's what he's saying. He can transform you. He can, he can, he can come in and, and heal any damage that's done to your children as they turn their heart to the Lord also. It came to my attention recently that the Catholic Church has actually combined the first and second commandment. At least that's what they say. They basically took it out, the second commandment, where it's just uh, 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 have no gods before me. They don't have uh, no, you know, don't make any carved images. And to keep ten commandments, they split the last one, uh, commandment ten, to not covet anyone's house or anyone's wife to keep that number ten. Isn't that crazy? Now, technically, in the Hebrew text, there is no numbers. So we've got to understand that, first of all. There, there really isn't one through ten. It, it, it's a thing that we've kind of put together over the years. And, and really, early on, Catholic Church, Protestant Church, we, we, we all held to that. But it is suspicious, right, knowing the Catholic Church in their use of statues and images and what's that called? Badges or something like that. You know, it, it is kind of suspicious that they would take out the second commandment, right? Because it seems directly against what they promote. Well, now you can say in our day and age, there's a Protestant version of the Ten Commandments and there's a Catholic version now. But you know what made me think about this is how the Lord was saying it, it can go down into the third and fourth generations. How, how sad it is that many Catholics have passed this on to their children and gone on it through many generations that having statues, these images, these icons is okay. But we know in God's grace and a failing love that he has saved many Catholics. And they've come to know Jesus Christ in a real salvation. And they've understood this. And, and I, I've seen many come to our church and the church I was on staff before. I say this, this watch out what you set up as idols. Because yeah? little ones are watching. 
Watch out what maybe idols you may have set up in your own life. They're watching. They're learning. Well, as we come to a close here, listen. An idol, remember, is anything or anyone that replaces God. That literally replaces God. An idol is anything or anyone that, you know, takes that passion away from God, where, where, where you're not passionate for God anymore, and you're more passionate for that other thing. You can actually drive an idol, <laughs> right? You can live in an idol, maybe even raise up idols. You can be American idol. No, just joking. You can date an idol. You can give yourself day and night to some idol. Be careful that you do not set up any kind of idol in your heart. Any kind. I'll close with this. The great preacher in the 1800s, Henry Ward Beecher, was sick. Uh, he was sick one Sunday. He couldn't preach. So he called a friend to come and uh, come preach and teach in his place. But when the worship was over and the substitute pastor came up to the podium, people started to get up and leave to see that uh, Henry Beecher wasn't there. Well, at that, the stand-in pastor, he spoke on the mic from the podium and said this, All those who came to worship Dr. Beecher this morning may leave. All those who came to worship the Lord may stay in their seats. When they heard that, everybody sat back down. Are we hearing God today? Are we hearing his voice today? What have we set up? What have we put there in front of God? What is it that's keeping us from even God? I'll tell you what, most of the time those idols will ruin everything around you. Yeah? It'll ruin your, your family. It'll, it'll, it'll ruin your, your work. It'll ruin uh, everything. Because it's sin. And sin has consequences. So hear God today. Get back to God. Get your heart back to Jesus. God is challenging us to any little idol, whatever that may be, that we're starting to set up or have set up. And he's challenging us with this question. Who will you choose? Who will you choose? This idol or Jesus? What are you going to do with that idol? That's the question today. To bow or not bow. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, move into, God, this time of communion, God, we ask for, Lord, a sense of your spirit even more so. Lord, you're speaking to us. We want, we're, God, we want to come to you and humble ourselves and bow to you because you're our God, not these idols that we may have set up. Lord, I pray for those who, for some reason, have lost their passion for you. They're in other things. They've got interested and distracted on things that, that aren't you. God, we want to come back. Bring them back, Lord. God, I pray for anyone here this morning that perhaps 
has set up idols and have never really given their life to you. This is the time to give their life. I pray they would accept you into their heart and find forgiveness, God. Lord, we want to break these idols down. We want to cast them into that fire, Lord, and make you our Lord God, our God, the one we bow down and worship and dedicate our life to. And as we move into communion, we, we, we remember what you've done for us. God, you made the way so we can be right with you. You made the way when you died on the cross so we can be forgiven and we can come to you. And we, you can be our Lord God and we can be your people. Lord, the question is, with the idol, are we going to bow or not bow to this thing? God, I don't want to not bow, and I want to bow to you, Jesus. So here we are in our hearts, Lord. As we worship you, God, as we prepare our hearts for communion, speak, God, move upon us, Lord. Remind us of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.